It's a best of five series. The Golden State Warriors have even things with the Boston Celtics thanks to a fantastic performance. 107-88, the final score in game two at Chase Center. Kevin Dana joins me, the voice of the Santa Cruz Warriors and sometimes the Golden State Warriors. We're going to recap the game, talk about why they won, the differences between game one and two, and what to expect for game three. This is Locked On Warriors. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. You can follow Kevin Dana on Twitter at Kevo408. You can follow me, Cyrus Sotsas, on Twitter at Dog Surf Roadshow. Kevin, I feel like Dub Nation needed that victory. So much nerves going into the NBA Finals, let alone the Game 1 disaster that happened, especially in the fourth quarter. Give us your takeaways from Game 2, which even the series of one apiece. Yeah, well, I mean, first, from from a personal, very selfish perspective, I had been to five NBA Finals games before yesterday. 2016 game five 2016 game seven 2019 game four 2019 game six and 2022 game one do you see a theme there Cyrus? i do i see a losing streak being snapped congratulations (laughs) so so uh yeah i was like man you know and it's not like the warriors have lost a ton of finals games at chase center and i just happen to be at like almost all of them um and and so like eventually i figured the streak had to stop and you know fortunately for golden state it it did yesterday i mean i just thought they wanted it really bad you know they just really wanted it in game two right like the first possession draymond green instead of letting al horford shoot a three like you know he gave him some wide open looks in game one Uh uh-uh he tied him up and he didn't guard Al a whole lot in that game, but that first possession, that first 11 seconds, let me know and let everyone know that, all right, the Warriors have come out to play today. And and that was huge. And I'm just looking at the hustle, some of the hustle stats on the interactive box score on NBA.com in game one, the Warriors contested 58 of the 85 Celtics shots. So that was 27 wide open field goal attempts that the Celtics got. In game one, in game two, the Warriors contested 63 of the Celtics' 80 shots. So that's 17 open field goal uncontested shots. So 10 fewer, uh, 10 more, 10 fewer. <laughs> let's let's see. What am I trying to say? I am trying to say, Cyrus, that the Warriors contested more shots. Like 79% of the Celtics' shots they contested as opposed to 68%. In game one, that is what I was trying to say before I had a total brain fart and trying to figure out my trying. Did they contest ten more shots? No, they actually contested five more shots. But all right, we will leave the uh, mathematics. Uh, That's okay, drill. man. It's- yeah, <laughs> trust me, okay. I'm better at math than, than I just showed. No, you're, I got you're a 670 on the SAT in math, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> no, you're incredible um, with your 
you're incredible with your data. And and by the way, I, just to let people know, I so tomorrow will be two weeks of company video for me. I for some reason today it's hitting me really hard. I'm still coughing up a ton of gunk. So before we started recording, I told Kevin, I'm like, dude, I I need you to help me carry this show today. So and no matter what brain parts you have, you're still doing better than me. So thank I, you. I, <laughs> yeah. Cyrus, I am buckling under the pressure of uh, having to carry a, a bigger load on Locked On Warriors. I, I, I think I need to be relegated to the bench, baby. Oh, um, no, 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 you're fine, man. You're fine. But yeah, that, that, like, that, that was the big takeaway that I had. I mean, I think it was Steph who, after game one, said, we scored enough to win 108 points. Just got to get it done on defense, which obviously didn't happen in game one. I mean, they scored one less point in game two and a, a one fewer point and guess what they won by 19 so yeah yep. defense was the difference and attention to detail and uh, getting into their shorts and getting physical and getting tough I, I i thought draymond was incredible last night oh he was man and it drives me crazy how many people today are coming out saying the refs helped the warriors i you know i, I i've been meaning to do the research for a long time now but if but I, from the personal foul standpoint they uh they actually called one more personal foul on the Celtics than they did the Warriors. Um, and in terms of free throw attempts, uh, the Warriors had a whopping three more. So I don't know if there was a huge advantage. It was a 19 point difference in this game. Um, you know, and, and you're right, Draymond had a phenomenal performance. I need do need to let people know, by the way, uh, I did hype up Rick Barry coming on the show today, but uh he, he was at Ch he was in the Chase Center crowd for game two. Uh, and he's in the Bay Area right now. I believe he comes here every year uh, for a golf tournament. That's, that's what he brought him to town this time. But wherever he's at, the internet connection sucks. And he could not join us despite our best efforts. So, uh, but Kevin, I cannot thank you enough for 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 carrying the load here uh, as, 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 you know, sitting in the seat next to me. Um, the dis Let's talk about the defense for a second because that yeah. was a huge difference. The Warriors scored 108 points in game one, 107 in game two. So we're kind of seeing a pattern in terms of how many points the Warriors are going to put up here. But the Celtics point differential is night and day. They put 120 in game one. In game two, it's 88. Uh, yeah. One thing that stuck out to me in terms of schemes is that the Warriors zone, I don't think is going to be effective in this series. We saw it a little bit in game one. The Celtics, who are a great team, in no way do I feel comfortable. I don't, I don't think I'm going to feel comfortable until the series is over, in all honesty. just That's, that's how much respect I have for the Celtics team. But uh, and, and one example of that is their efficiency on offense and in, in picking apart that zone. A, a really great offense will capitalize on a zone defense because there's going to be open shooters. There's going to be offensive rebounds. And um, so and so in game two, though, we saw a man D, which resulted in way more contested shots like the stats you just mentioned. Um, and then we saw Gary Payne, the second out there, who Ooh. is my security blanket. He I love that man. I think he is a complete difference maker. He is someone who the box score, uh, the box sheet, uh, will not justify in terms of his impact. Um, tell my, tell me, and tell the audience, please, what you saw from the Warriors' defense in Game Two that was made the huge difference. Yeah, uh, to your point about the the zone, Cyrus. I'll start with this: like Steve Kerr post game said, they only played one possession of zone defense in Game Two, and you saw the results. Now. I think they're going to play more than one possession of zone defense 
uh, going forward, just because you don't want to feed any team a steady diet of the same defense, even if you are mixing up the matchups here and there, you, you just don't want a team to get comfortable. So I, I do think that hey, may, maybe they play three to four possessions of zone. You'll see Steve Kerr put up the two fists and uh, and Mike Brown on the bench so uh, to play zone. But yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, defensively, it, it's not just the contested shots. I want to make sure I have the right box score up here. Um, the, let's see. Is this the one that had Gary? Make sure it's the one playing? that says yep. 88 for the yeah. leprechaun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at the interactive <laughs> box score again, but it's also the deflections, right? Like the, the Boston Celtics had 18 deflections. The Warriors had 30 deflections. And Draymond oh. Green eight deflections himself Stephen Curry seven deflections uh, you know there there's a one possession they've been talking the talking heads on ESPN are talking about Stephen Curry's defense today because it, w- it was very good I mean seven deflections uh, six contested shots they show the replay of him uh, dean up Peyton Pritchard who yeah. all right he's maybe not the best offensive generator but he's a very solid backup who who has had a nice start to his young NBA career that was a smothering possession of defense like the Celtics did try to target him at times, and they weren't having a ton of success because Stephen Curry is really turned himself into a solid defender. And, yes, he has. Yeah, you know, I'm just pulling up the offensive stats. I mean, as a team, the Golden State had a defensive rating of 89.8. Stephen Curry had a defensive rating of 88.1 in that game. I mean, which Incredible. is elite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Yeah, those are the things that really kind of stood out to me or at least kind of either seen it happen in person, like with the Draymond tie-up. I remember the Peyton Pritchard possession where Steph locked him up and then reading some of these stats and reading the articles that were written after the game that, yeah, I mean, this defense was on point. You know, they were the number two defense in the NBA for a reason. And to start the season, you know, they were – in, like they were sub 100 defensive rating for the first 10 plus games. And then kind of there was some slippage, but like through when they were 18 and two, like their defense was playing at an historic level. Yes, it was. Yeah. And 27 and six. I mean, and it's, it, it, I think it's clear the drop off coincided uh, with the Draymond injury. It, it, it's that yeah. the Draymond injury really started that two and a half month yeah. malaise for this Warriors team. Um, I want to play the sound real quick from Gary Payton the second, who again, his impact was felt and 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 he made a huge difference out there. It's great to see him. Here's Gary Payton the second echoing your sentiments about Stephen Curry being that two-way player. Um, Steph is a two-way player. You know, he he does a lot on the other side, but he does a lot on the defensive side too. He's in the right spots at the right time. He he had what three steals tonight. You know, he's just in the right spot at the right time. Um, and he talks to he talks to his teammates. He's vocal, and he leads by example on both sides of the court. And you know, I guess guys don't see it, but we see it on this team for sure. Um, so yeah, so there was Stephen. I'm sorry, Gary Payton the uh, second, giving kudos to Gary Payton. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's. Basketball championship matchup, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. Do you have any idea what the spread is for tonight for a Wednesday night's game? Do you want to my guess? Gu- my guess would be Boston minus two and a half. Oh, you're close. It's actually Boston minus three and a half. 
uh, when you were on last week, uh, Gary St. Jean joined you, which was phenomenal. The feedback for that show was was off the charts, man. People Saint, loved Saint. Saint, Saint. Is the best. He is, man. And uh, and the Saint said something that was I, I thought was brilliant. It was right on the mark, which is that in a fi- in a series like this, the bookies will typically give the home team three points. So if the line is three and a half, which is what it was for the Warriors in Game One, which is what it now is for the Celtics in Game Three, uh, they usually means it's a pick them because it's really a half point is what the favorite is and that's 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 the definition of a pick them it's one way or the other so um so the line is three and a half for the celtics uh which is a little surprising to me um and again the bookies set these lines based largely on, on what they think people will bet and how people feel um the money line is minus 155 for the celtics plus 135 for the warriors that is that is the bet I would place. So the money line plus one thirty five, uh, and the over under is two twelve and a half. Anything look good to you there? I know you're not you don't bet yeah, on these I, games. You're not I, supposed I, to. I but... can't I can't give any gambling advice. I will say that oh, gotcha. like that that Boston minus one fifty five from what I understand about sports and lines seems interesting. Uh, not from like a oh you should bet this, but I was like. I didn't think it would be minus 155 is all Same. I'm saying. And again, for any future employer, I don't bet on sports. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, saying that you do. Um, it is a huge part of sports and they're a longtime sponsor of this program and, and a lot of programs for that yeah. matter. But I'm with you though. That 155 seems high. It's, it's, it's indicative that the bookies feel like uh, a lot of people think the Celtics will win game three and we'll, we'll cover that in just a moment. But uh, again, Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. Thank you for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. We here at Locked On have an important favor to ask you. We put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes the survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards to take our audience survey. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. You can follow Kevin Dana on Twitter at Kevo408. You can follow me on Twitter at DogSurfRoadShow. Kevin, Game 3 is at the Garden. The Warriors have to win a road game to win this series because they lost Game 1. Um, one interesting, interesting thing about the leprechauns that sticks out to me particularly is the fact that they have not, uh, endured a losing streak this entire postseason. Uh, after every loss, they bounced back and won. So the warriors are going to have to, uh, yeah. beat them two times in a row. If they're going to win this series. Um, what, what are you expecting in game three? I mean, I think it's going to be a real, real battle. Like, the Celtics will make their adjustments. They they will find a way to be more efficient offensively. I especially do not see, what is it, Al Horford, Robert Williams III, and Marcus Smart 
each only having two points. Like those guys right. will not go combined three of 13 in game three. Uh, you know, they played a combined, what was it, uh, 67 minutes or so like that, and they only got three field goals. And Al Horford didn't even attempt a three. Al Horford is attempting a three, come hell or high water in game three. <laughs> now, I, I don't think he's going to go six of eight from three, but they're going to figure out something, you know, the, the the smarter minds of the Boston Celtics coaching, uh, coaching staff than, than I have the, to get a guy like Al Horford better looks because he didn't take a shot in the entire first half and his Crazy. first shot of the second half was kind of a really rushed kind of scenario I, I think the first one was kind of like this one that was flipped up that didn't really have much of a chance right around the rim it was well contested and he finished one of four so um yeah those those things uh stick out to me as, as things that that boston will get better at um a, a, another thing from you know, game one to two, just to backtrack a little bit, since we're talking about what Boston has done offensively, I said that, all right, Jason Tatum, he's going to have better scoring games than he did in game one, but he also created 50 points total with his points and Mm -hmm. assists. And so while Tatum in game two scored 28 points, he only created at most 37 points total because he had three assists instead of, you know, 13 that he had in game one. So like, they held Tatum to like a cumulative 13 fewer points, essentially, if you take, you know, the assists. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Celtics are not going to lose by 19 uh, in game three. Now, I, I, I expect the Warriors to win one of these two in Boston. I don't know which mm-hmm. one it is, but they're going to win one of them. I, you know, just the, the pedigree that this team has. I mean, the 26 straight playoff series with a road win which is one of the most incredible stats out there i think agreed um, it is wild <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. so yeah the, the, those are the first couple of things that that kind of stick into my mind and you know like the, the warriors absolutely had to have that one and you know mm-hmm. we could talk about you know I, I i know plenty of people who are tired of the is this a must win game but like you know, the Warriors didn't want to go down to nothing. Uh, and so they needed to come out with the level of intensity that they did. Correct. Now that they have like a little bit of leeway, not that they have like a lot, they need to get one of these games. But like if they lose game three and win game four, they'll be all right. Right. Like yep. they, they, they take. So it's not like they absolutely have to have game three like they absolutely had to have game two. So I'm curious if they can keep that same level of focus and intensity, the the desperation that they played with to start game one, if that or to start game two, if that can carry over to game three in Boston. Because I, I imagine it'll co- carry over to game four if they lose game three. But coming off a win, can they play with that same desperation? That's something that I'm going to be looking for. Yeah, I'm very curious about that as well. Do you, do you, I, I, I have two things for you here. Yeah. One is, I'm curious to know if you agree or not, I feel like in Game 3, all the pressure is on the Celtics because the Warriors, I think, can afford to lose Game 3. I don't want them to. Uh, I, I, you know, Obviously, this is a very dangerous Celtics team. I prefer the Warriors put them away as soon as possible, finish this thing, come home, hoist that Larry O'Brien, and let's all be happy. But uh, if they lose Game 3, it's certainly not the end of the world. But if the Celtics lose Game 3, they're in a whole heap of trouble It'll be their first losing streak of the postseason. 
all the momentum will be behind the Warriors at that point. So I'm curious to know if you agree with that sentiment. And also, why do you what do you think the Warriors did so effectively on Al, Al Horford to make him go from a six for eight shooting night from beyond the arc in game one to not putting up a single three point attempt in game two? Yeah. Um, so first off, I do agree with your assessment. Like I, I think the, the home team, uh, you know, needs to take care of the home games, right? Like, you know, Boston did its job by getting one of two on the road, like winning game one, put the warriors behind the eight ball in a serious way. Now they've removed themselves from that hole a little bit. And now if they can get one of these two and, 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 you know, so if the Celtics need to take care of home advantage, home court advantage, like I think everyone agrees they need to, now that they have that home court advantage, then they can't lose a game at home. So, so yes, it it is more crucial for, for Boston to, to win game three, because the Warriors do have another crack at a road win in game four. If they drop game three, then the Celtics win that game three, then, uh, yeah, you know, then then the Warriors are gonna have to go back in that. All right, gotta lace them up, kind of yep. kind of mode. Um, so with respect to Al Horford, uh, the the biggest thing after Draymond got the tie up was that they put Clay on him, and yeah. and they moved Draymond Green to Jalen Brown, and Jalen, you know, Jalen Brown was uh, uh, he 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 was not made to to feel. Like he was uh, having a, a nice dinner at Miller and Lux next to Chase Center, <laughs> you know, on, on the on the floor. I mean, uh, it, it, just say things uh, got a little testy between Draymond and Jalen Brown. Um, so so that worked. So and, and then you know, Clay Thompson. You can talk about that he's not who he was defensively coming back from two and a half years. But he's stout. He's strong. And even the first game, one of the one of the things I took away from his return, January 9th, twenty twenty-two, aka Clay Day against the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, <laughs> kind of a, like kind of like a, a like a, a worthy opponent of the moment, right? Because they had had four straight finals appearances against Correct. Cleveland. Was how well he stood up to bigger players when they tried to back him down. And, and you know, Al Horford, he's a fantastic player but he's not going to be like a guy who moves off the ball like Stephen Curry. Right. Right. Uh, so, so Clay Thompson doesn't necessarily need to have the same lateral quickness guarding Al Horford that he had, that he needed to uh, against the Jalen Brown in game one. Uh, so, and, and since Clay is a strong dude and he basically just need to stay attached to him. Whereas Draymond green, you know, he, he wants the defense, like he plays kind of a rover mode when he's not guarding like the numero uno option. And right. so he was kind of in rover mode uh, against Boston in game one, where he was helping off Al Horford because look, they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and you want to stop dribble penetration because those two guys are elite scores and just kind of elite athletes and are going to be, you know, the face of, you know, they've been the face of the Celtics for five years. And Jane, you know, Jalen Brown's been there for six years. Tatum's been there for five. And they're going to be there for a decade plus more, you know, I, I hope at least. And I'm sure Boston Celtics fans hope, you know, you know in January we were talking, oh, let's break up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And no, I think everything's okay with the Boston <laughs> were. Celtics. Like they had a lot gone of talk to about three, that. You're right. They yeah. had gone to like three conference finals in the previous five seasons. They had like, 
one season where they go 36 and 36 and just in a pandemic year and, and it's like time to blow up, you know, time to start the bus on that. I, I just, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, but I mean, that's kind of revisionist history on my part too, because they didn't look good for a while. It, but back to, you know, kind of the, the Draymond thing with, with Al mm-hmm. Horford, like you saw him daring Al Horford to shoot and Al Horford has been great in the postseason from three, 46%. And he's still 46% after last night because he didn't take a shot from beyond <laughs> the arc. Uh, and, and so like that allowed Draymond to, to do what he can do so well playing on ball defense. Now, obviously, uh, he could do that against Al Horford, but it wouldn't serve the Warriors as well, right? Like, because Al Horford is not going to be like a primary ball handler like that. So right. putting him on, on one of the guys who's going to pound the rock a little bit, I thought really worked well for Golden State and allowed Clay Thompson, who who can guard a, you know an Al Horford pr- pretty well one-on-one. I thought he did a nice job defensively Agreed. last night. Wholeheartedly agree. I saw the exact same thing. Um, I thought it was a fantastic adjustment because Clay, and it made Clay an effective defender because whatever yeah. his struggles are with with uh, faster players, Al Horford is not going to blow by you. That's what that's all. That's a huge reason why I was also advocating for uh, Nemanja Bjelica to play because Bjelica can also guard a, a, a player like Al Horford, who's not the slasher type. He's not. He doesn't have the greatest post game either. He's a he's a solid big. I mean, Al Horford clearly is effective. I mean, he's almost yeah. the single biggest reason why the Celtics won game one. Um, but, you know, is kudos to the Warriors and Steve Kerr and Mike Brown and company for uh, putting clay on them and playing tighter defense on them. And and, and the results showed there. Um, I want to play the soundbite from another player who really stood out in game two. And the Warriors needed his offense because Clay's offense was iffy. And I'm going to talk about that, in, about that in just a moment. But this is... Uh, uh, Jordan Poole um, talking about what he did differently in game two versus game one. Jordan, what was the difference between games one and games two? And then what did Steph say to you after you hit the half court shot? <laughs> um, looking for my shot more. I think the first game I was trying to get my teammates involved, um, trying to get them easy looks because they were crowding me and they had a lot of um, attention on me in the, the non Steph minutes. Um, but just being aggressive and um, we talked about it <laughs> in shooting around a couple of days ago. Somebody was going to hit a half-court shot in this series, whether it was me or Steph. Um, <laughs> I just happened to hit it. And there's Jordan Poole again, who finished with 17 points. Most of those points coming from three-pointers. He was five for nine from beyond the arc. The youngest player in NBA Finals history to hit five three-pointers in a Finals game. Uh, you know, Clay, I, I, I talked to Rick Barry, uh, right after the game because, because I wanted his opinions, especially about Clay Thompson and his shooting struggles. Uh, Rick told me, and I said this on last night's post, uh, post game live reactionary show that I do after every finals game, um, that according to Rick, he thinks Clay is not setting his feet when he's shooting, that he's rushing a lot of his shots. Um, he might be forcing some of his shots, but then he also said, look, Clay's one of the greatest shooters in the history of this game. And he could be doing the exact same thing he did in games one and two. And in game three could end up making seven out of eight or some crazy number like that. I mean, that's just how good he is. Uh, your thoughts on Jordan Poole and also on Clay's shooting struggles. Yeah. So I, I do want to, so I'm not, I don't want to push back on anything Rick Barry said. Push because back. He, please. please. I, yeah. I, and I, I actually, I don't have a problem with what Rick Barry said. Cause I, I think it's, pretty accurate and I, I'm not watching his feet when he's shooting like I don't have that uh, you know level of attunement that that Rick Barry does 
my my issue with how Clay has been presented in the media in general in this series is that he's had a bad first two games. He had a bad game two offensively. Mm-hmm. I thought game one, all right, he's six of 14 and three of seven from downtown. Like, what more do you want from three of seven and from down? Like, that's 43% from three. That's an elite number. Like, he I makes think the criticism, one more two-point shot. Kevin, just to cut you off real quick, yeah. I think the criticism for game one for Clay was that he didn't put up enough shots. Uh, I think his shot attempt number was lower than what people wanted from him. Uh, I don't think he attacked the rim, attacked the basket enough. I think that's what the criticism was. All right, if, but, if, all right. So, so they don't want him to attack the basket, or they want him to attack the basket more. But Clay's better as a spot up shooter. Like, uh, you know, it's like he's damned if he do, damned if he doesn't. It, yep. If that if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he didn't shoot well in game two. Four of 19, one of eight from three. He did hit a big three, though. It forced an Ime Udoka timeout. Kind of gave the Warriors that initial separation in the third quarter. I I mean, I'm not worried about Klay Thompson being able to come back and have a big game. I mean, it, it just feels like every time Clay has a bad shooting game, there is some subsection of whether it's the Twitter republic or – the media republic <laughs> that like yeah. panics a little bit. And I mean, you know, Clay would go through monster shooting slumps pre torn ACL and Achilles. Like, I mean, before he had 14 threes against the Chicago bulls, like he got off to the, one of the worst shooting stars of the season in 18, 19. Like, it, it, like he was like sub he was like low twenties from three or something. I for, remember that, yeah. For a decent part of that season, like he's gonna be fine when it comes to like. All right, maybe he's not he's not a hundred percent, you know, pre June thirteenth, twenty nineteen, but still a damn good player. And I like just because it goes four of nineteen one game, it doesn't mean he's gonna go four of nineteen the next. Game. It just feels like there's a little more like. Clay's lost it after every time he has a bad shooting game. And I, I just don't agree with that because I hear you. you know, I'm 100% in game five, 100%. the last two closeout games, he's had like eight threes in each of them and, and 30 plus points. Or, you know, what, what I mean, he's definitely scored 30 in each. And I think he had eight he did. threes. Yeah, in 32 and 30. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, like, Last I checked, he didn't have a major injury between Game Five of the Western Conference Finals this year and Game Two of the NBA Finals. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. That, that, those, that's my thought on Clay Thompson. Oh yeah, you asked me about Jordan Poole too. Yeah, just some, some uh, thoughts on that because I because I feel like the moment was just a little too big for him in Game One. I was worried. I'm so glad to see him come back in Game Two and play his style of ball. Yeah, and your thoughts on about Jordan Poole. Yeah, you know, Jordan, I thought, like, kind of, the, and I read this in Slater's article, is, is that, like, you know, he took advantage of the mid-range, and his one two-point make in game two was a mid-range pull-up because the, the, the drive game wasn't working for him in the first half, right? He, he had gotten constantly rejected the rim or have his shot altered when he was trying to drive to the hoop. That's not right. something Jordan Poole is used to because he's used to blowing past his defender and getting a lip. Now maybe he mix in, mixes in a shot fake there. And I think of shot fake like a little pump fake when he gets to the hoop could, could really get him to the line a decent bit because he hasn't necessarily shown it in this series. And I think he certainly has that in his bag. 
Um, but I, I thought it was, I mean, the, the last 90 seconds or last 79 seconds, whenever he came in at the end of the third quarter, I mean, it started with that beautiful feed to Kevon Looney inside and then the back-to-back yes. threes, including the half-court shot. Like, that's how you break out of a six-quarter slump to start the NBA Finals. And Damn we'll right. see if it carries over. I like that they kept him on the floor kind of, you know, for large stretches of that fourth quarter, even though the game was out of reach after that 6-0 run. I mean, after... I think it was the Bielitsa dunk that made it 93-64. So the, the 6-0 run, I was like, all right, game blouses. Like, yeah, yeah, the Warriors have eaten yeah. up this series. But I'm glad that Poole stayed out there. I'm glad that Clay stayed out there, too, to try to you know find those Same. guys a little more of a rhythm offensively, even if it comes in, quote-unquote, garbage time. Anytime you see the ball go through the hoop in live action, I think it, I think it's a bonus. You're absolutely right, man. That's, that's a great call there. I agree with all of that. Um, you know, I, I and just to wrap things up here, the Warriors they had a nine man rotation in game two that I think is the recipe for success. Like that nine man rotation, and look, if Iguodala comes back, I'm not opposed to it. I think he, uh, you know, the stats showed he actually played tremendous defense on Jason he played Tatum. Well huge reason what sorry, yeah, he played well in game one. I thought he did, yeah, yeah at least, yeah, certainly it. defensively, especially. Um, where Jason Tatum at 12 points, and a, and a large reason was Andre Iguodala, who was guarding him almost exclusively. Um, and his off his offensive numbers are great too, but at the same time, what I didn't like in game one was having Iguodala and Draymond Green on the floor together. Uh, I don't know if that's something that's sustainable, uh, in a, in a seven game series against the Celtics just because it does stagnate the offense a little bit, but. Look, if if Iguodala comes back and he's basically Draymond Green's sub in, uh, I love it. I, I I really think like like Gary Payne the second was huge coming back. I thought Otto Porter Jr. has had a phenomenal series so far. It's only been two games, but his impact is immeasurable because the stats do not reflect either of those players' uh, impact and importance for the Warriors. I mean, Otto Porter Jr. Uh, only had one field goal attempt. It was a three pointer finished with three points but his plus minus was 24 in the positive he tied with Steph and Kevon Looney for for leading the the game in that department and then Gary Payne the second at seven points but again that one three was huge and this is yeah. defense and and being at the right place at the right time I mean the, the, his timing is impeccable and I especially love Nemanja Bielitsa getting minutes and I really think again the playoffs is all about matchups it's all about you know again, matching up with your opponent and, and pick, figuring out what the right guys are in the right situations. And this is a series that I think Bielitsa can thrive in because the, the Celtics don't really have anyone that makes them a liability on the defensive side. You can hide him on Robert Williams III. He can guard Al Horford. Uh, you know, if Grant Williams is out there, he can guard Grant Williams. Um, so, and he spaces the floor offensively because you cannot just leave him alone uh, beyond the arc. He will burn you with three-pointers. So, I'm feeling really good with Gary Payne the second back. I'm feeling really good with Nemanja Bielitsa getting minutes. Um, you know, like I said, if, if Iguodala feels good enough to uh, to to play, I love him coming off the bench as relief for Draymond Green. Um, your thoughts on everything I just said there? Because ultimately, I really do feel like the Warriors in Game Two figured out the rotation, the 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 puzzle pieces. They found the pieces to put together to beat this Celtics team. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, so let, let, let's go through these bench guys for a second. You, you're right. That three that Otto Porter hit, like, all right, it was 68 to 56. And then the Celtics, 
Like their one little stretch of get back in the second half, they hit, I think it was back-to-back threes to make it 68-62. Then Otto Porter Jr. hits a left corner three to make it 71-60. And like they absolutely needed that shot in that moment to kind of stem the tide. And then that brought about, I mean, it was 68 to 62. They and they ended up going on what a 25 to two run because it went to 93 to 64. And it started with that auto porter three. So like just monster, monster three there from Otto Porter Jr. And yeah, like you meant the plus 24 uh that that he had was huge. I mean, obviously GP2. I, I will say so. I was at Chase. I his standing ovation when he got into the game for the first time. It's one of the loudest Chase Center moments I've heard. And I haven't been there for every game. Uh, I I mean, I actually didn't go to a lot of home games this year because of the Santa Cruz Warriors. But, I mean, it was – like, I I took off my my headset. I was was listening to Tim Roy's call while I I was there. And I took off my headset so I could get the full experience. Man, like, it it was really loud. And that's how much Dub Nation loves – young glove and he delivered man i mean it was great to see him hit that left corner three i guess yep. the elbow is all right or or he's fighting through it enough to the point where it's not bothering him on that shot but yeah just kind of the defensive pest in him that he brings you know he didn't have his ta- patented steal and slam but like I, that's coming at some point in this series just his on-ball pressure i thought you know was great just made the celtics feel uncomfortable when he was out there um, I'm looking at the, the hustle stats for GP2 in this – or uh, let, me, let me pull up the hustle stats real quick because I'm, I'm curious to see what they were for GP2 in this game. Um, yeah, a couple of deflections. Uh, you know, he, he set a nice screen – he had a screen assist for a big step three. I think it was the one that made it 76-62. to He had four contested shots, contested a couple of twos, a couple of threes, couple, you know, uh, recovered a loose ball, like just kind of the little things that that he was able to do. I I, I thought were huge. And then Nemanja Bjelica, I mean, he he was very solid last night. Six points, five yes, rebounds in ten and a half minutes. And, and you, you mentioned the guys that that he's able to defend. Well, he also took a turn on Jason Tatum, basically yes, he shut did. the faucet off. Yes, he so, did. Like for that one, that. like now I, I wouldn't want. Nemanja Bielica guarding Jason Tatum for 30 minutes, but like in situations <laughs> yeah. where he switched on to him, like he held his own and then some. Yes, he like, did. He guarded Luca too a little bit. He guarded Luca a little bit in that yeah, Maverick yeah, series did. too and held his own there as well. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, like Nemanja Bielica at times is bit, like I remember in game after game one, everyone was calling him Nikola Jokic. It was like, all right, let's <laughs> slow our roll a little bit after the 15 point 11 rebound game against yeah. the. Los Angeles Lakers. Like that's not the the first thought I had when I watched him play. I loved him on the Sacramento Kings, though. Like you know, a guy who could just fire deep threes and you know, skill big, pass a rock he a is. little bit. I mean, all right, Nikola Jokic can also do. I guess like, oh, well, he's Serbian. He's Serbian. They can both pass the ball. They can both shoot the ball. Oh, hey, you know. Nikola Jokic but and then it went from that to like oh he's unplayable he can't play defense he's a liability and we're he's balanced out nicely in the playoffs uh I I I thought he's given you know throughout when when he's been in the lineup he's done a nice job for Golden State uh so so those and and then you know we've talked about pool but with respect to those three guys I I 
yeah, I, I've been impressed with those three. I'll be interested to see if Moody gets more time or Kaminga at, at certain mm. stretches because those would be potentially next two guys up. And if Andre's ready to go, you got to play Andre. Like, this is, Agreed. and it's not just like, all right, this is his last hurrah. You got to throw him in. Like, he can still be effective when he's out yes, he there. And, like, I, I go back to the 2019 game six. I think it, in the NBA finals, I think he had like 22 points in that game. Like, it, he was, like, he turned back the clock offensively. So, you know, he's 38 now, but I could easily see Andre for, like, you know, one last ride. Like, I can't do you know, partying like it's 2006. Yeah, I, I absolutely can't too. And and part of me wonders in game one if if Kerr, I mean, look, Kerr just didn't feel comfortable playing Gary Payne the second. I think he was just hoping Iguodala could. He wasn't could, cleared he, to like, he, he was only cleared for certain situations. So that's right. Why. That, that's confusing. Can, can you elaborate yeah. on that? Like, what do you, what does that mean? Like, how can you clear him as a physician or as a, as a, MD for certain situations in basketball that seemed really bizarre to me. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm not Rick Celebrini, I'm not Nirav Pandya. Um, <laughs> but like, my what I would surmise from that is that he could have come in, say, there's like 12 seconds left, balls out of bounds off Golden State, so Boston's getting it with a shot clock off, so Golden State's not going to play offense. You take Steph Curry out, or you take Jordan Poole out. You put GP2 in. Kind of like how we've seen them use Juan Toscano Anderson right. at, in the quarter situations from time to time in the playoffs. And that that was how GP2 got on this roster, basically. Like, yeah. the end of last season, he was used in those spots almost exclusively. Correct. And, and then and then to start this season as well. I remember, like, it, you know, in the Lakers game, first couple of games to see, it wasn't until that Charlotte game in early November – where he became a part of the rotation going forward. And, and so that's a that's a role that Gary excels in. And if he's and if he's only going to play defense, you're not going to worry about him putting up a shot and kind of extending that left elbow. Uh, so that's how I understand. I don't know if that's what it means, but that would be my hypothesis. Yeah, I mean, because it's just it was just weird because his dad was on he did this interview with Rich Eisen. It was the first interview I've seen from Gary Payton in weeks because I, I, I've been wanting to hear from him since the Dylan Brooks, uh, uh, you know, altercation where he injured his son. And he forgave Dylan Brooks. He he called it a, a you know a basketball play, and then uh, you know, but he also said that he was perplexed because his son was cleared and was ready to go, and he was baffled that that Kerr didn't put him in there. But look, better late than never, man. I mean, it's, I'm glad he's out there now. I don't know what happened in two days that suddenly made Kerr and company feel better about him. Um, I've always felt there's been a weird hesitancy to play him because, because again, when he was playing for the team last year, I've been advocating for him since then. Like since late last regular season, I saw that kid and was like, my God, this is a player that can play stout defense is smart. Offensively. He's not obviously like, you know, a special offensive player, but he's smart. He, he's in the right place at the right time. He's a lob threat. He surprisingly has a post-up game, freakishly athletic in terms of his hops, especially more so than his dad. His dad attributes his mother as as uh, being the reason for uh, being gifted athletically uh, more so than himself. Um, yeah, wasn't really she like a track played. star? Correct, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's my understanding of it. So, um, and I want to end this uh, end this show on a on a really lighthearted note because, um, again, in my opinion, Gary Payne the second. Nothing but great things happen when happens when he plays. 
Nemanja Bielica in this postseason, especially nothing but great things happen when he plays. And then little Dre, Draymond Jr. For some reason, like just him being around the team is just brings such positive energy. It's very uplifting. And Chris Alvarez of ABC7 here in the San Francisco Bay Area had a chance to interview Draymond and little Dre. This is Draymond Green and Draymond Green Jr. Get a little analysis from DJ. How did Dad play? Good. You got a you got a career in your hands, just like the Cubs. No. Is DJ trip to Boston? You going? Yes. Absolutely. Wow, that's pretty cool. We're gonna see you running around the floor in the parquet. Yep. All right. <laughs> That'll be cool. We we'll look forward to seeing you guys in Boston. In a couple days, safe trip, and uh, DJ, we looking for you on the floor. Thank you. Say peace. Peace, guys. <laughs> that was awesome. I don't know. You got. I, Maybe you got to be a Warriors fan to truly appreciate that, but I that that I love that kid, man. Congratulations, Draymond Green, on having a beautiful family there. Any last thoughts, Kevin? Before we bid adieu, Game Three is Wednesday. Uh, what what's your prediction, if any? And uh, yeah, any last thoughts before we wrap things up here? Yeah, I predict that Golden State will win one of these two games. I think it's going to come back two two. I uh, just to fin- you know finish up on uh, the, the the Gary Payton interview stuff. Like I don't know, like I don't know his interview schedule, but if that was his first interview since Dylan Brooks, um, like the Dylan Brooks thing, I think that's a good decision, right? Like you don't want, like I'm sure GP two doesn't want his dad like fighting his battles for him in the media, right? Like yeah. I, I think that's a that's a good decision if that's you know what happened. I mean, I certainly hadn't heard any. Gary Payton comments on, on the Dylan yeah, Brooks I can't, thing. I can't tell you that it's like a hundred percent certain. It's just, but I was fishing for attributions left and right. And I didn't see Gary talking to anyone. I, I, I have Gary Payton's email. I emailed him. I didn't hear back. Um, you know, yeah. So that, that was the first time I'd, I'd seen or heard him speak since the Dylan Brooks incident. And, okay. um, it was it was interesting for sure yeah. yeah 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 but um yeah no i'm i'm i can't wait till wednesday night gets here 6 p.m pacific uh, let, let, let's roll the ball on the court let's play some shooty hoop let, yes, let's sir. let's get going this is going to be very fun i do think this is a seven game series uh june 19th uh, should be a very intense day <laughs> and, uh, I think but, it might, I, I'm hoping it doesn't even get that far. I, I, I okay. there's still a part of me, you know, like when when the series started. I think I made the prediction with you and, and maybe Gary St. Jean. I can't remember if that was a day, but you know, I said if if the team is fully healthy, and that included Gary Payton the second playing all all seven games or you know every game uh, that he's available, that included Andre Iguodala. I thought the Warriors could finish this in five, and I still do believe that firmly. But Gary Payton the second wasn't there in game one. He's there now. I really do believe there's a possibility if the Warriors play at their best level, they can win both these games in the Garden and come back and finish it at home. Um, or at a minimum, if they get a split, they can still try to finish it at the Garden in Game Six. Um, I do think that possibility is there. I don't, I don't want to rule it out. Like, I just have that much faith in this team. I think they're that good. But yeah, your thoughts, please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, '91 Bulls, Lakers, uh, 2012 Heat, Thunder, '90 uh, uh, 2011 Eastern Conference Finals, Heat, Bulls. Trying Great to think calls. of other uh, other series, but first, there's another NBA final series that I'm oh oh one Sixers Lakers where where one team won the first yes. game and lost the next four. There you go. Um, yep. But I, I I think that the Warriors and Celtics are much closer than like Sixers Lakers, right? Like it took <laughs> everything for the Sixers to win that first game, and then they just got. And I thought we, I think we all knew that they were just going to get just trounced the rest of that series. That was the. I'm pretty sure that's the only game 
as uh, Bacon says hello. Um, oh, hey, I'm Bacon. Sure, <laughs> I'm sure, oh, pretty sure that's the only uh, that's the only loss that the Lakers had that postseason. Was, was game correct. of the final. That is correct, yeah. yes. So, um, Just like how the Cavaliers game four prevented four. the Warriors from a perfect postseason. That yeah, was 86 one blemish in, yeah, in, yeah. in 2001. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, and, and honestly, like I, I, I don't mean any disrespect to the Celtics saying this. I just... Robert Williams III is clearly not 100. percent Yeah, um, and that's a that's huge. Like huge. that, is, he is a very important player for him. And ultimately, I just I do think the Celtics, as good as they are, are still missing a player. I, I don't know where that player slides in. Um, you know, I don't know if it's like you know if it's a player that fits below Jalen Brown in terms of stature and prominence, or maybe it's someone in between Brown and Tatum. I think what he kind can of win player? A title. What kind of player are they missing, in your opinion? It could it, uh, offensively. I think I think they're okay. they have shortcomings offensively. I, I just don't think they could put up enough points. I think the eighty-eight points we saw in Game Two, because because we're seeing a pattern here with the Warriors. They're going to be given. They're going to be putting up that one hundred seven, one hundred eight. I think they could even get to like one ten plus. Um, I think the one twenty the Celtics put in put up in Game One was an anomaly. Like I don't think that's a clip that they're going to be meeting on a regular basis. Like like ninety ninety five is more realistic. I just don't think they have the offense. I, I think they're there's like it, they need Derek White to shoot five for eight from three. They need Al Horford to shoot six for eight from three. And I just don't think you can count on that on a consistent basis. Um, and that's why I think the Warriors are the better team. Now, if if they had a, one more like shooter, like like a Gordon Hayward, I think maybe someone like him uh, would be is sorely missing. Like someone, another offensive threat who also has size. Uh, and that's just off the top of my head. I'm just spitballing right gotcha. now, but. That's just my my observation, you know. <laughs> Who knows if I'm right or not? But yeah, that's just my observation. Skull. So, all right, Kevin, it's always a pleasure, man. I think it's safe to say, regardless, we're going to be doing another show next Monday. Um, yeah. I highly doubt the series is over before then. I don't think it's even possible. But it's not possible. Yeah, there, yeah, it's game, not possible. Game five is uh, June thirteenth, and there has to there be you go. game five. Yeah, so, so it's not even possible. So we'll be, we'll be doing at least one more of these. Realistically, we'll re regardless of what happens, we'll be doing two more of these. On Mondays, I think that I don't think the off season starts for the locked on schedule until July. So regardless, Mondays with Kevin will proceed at least through June, um, and then before we go through some sort of off season schedule, and then we'll reconvene uh, next season. But regardless, yeah. So through June, Kevin Dana joins me. You can follow him on Twitter at Kevo four hundred eight. And thanks for putting up with me. I am just I have no energy today. I don't know what's going on. This company video is just a nasty thing, man. It is hitting me all over the place. Again, tomorrow will be two weeks, and I'm still coughing up pieces of my lung. I <laughs> Without grossing people out, I don't know how else to tell you. I don't feel great. But, Kevin, thanks for helping me carry the show today, man. Um, and thanks for just a great job you're doing, brother. You're just, you're just a pro's pro, dude, and you're a great Appreciate dude on top of that. Um, Mondays course, with Kevin. Man. It's like Tuesdays with Maury, but with, uh, less, <laughs> yeah. uh, with less life insight. Yeah, and hopefully with less diseases and stuff. Yes, like a healthier yeah. version yeah. of that. Yes, yeah, Mondays yeah. with Kevin. <laughs> yeah, so um, absolutely. And that is a great book, by the way. My mom made me read that some years ago. Um, yeah, and again, you can follow me on Twitter at DogSurfRoadShow. You can follow this program on Twitter uh, at LockedOnDubs. Thanks for making Locked On Warriors your first listen every day. Make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Doolin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA draft, mock draft, player rankings, and, of course, the big boards. It's free and available 
wherever you get podcasts. By the way, Kevin, before we go, uh, I participated in the Locked On Mock Draft. Um, and my pick for the Golden State Warriors uh, in that mock draft, um, and I'd love to know your, your thoughts on this, I relied largely on Kristen Peake, who I think is brilliant when it comes to uh, observing college talent, high school talent, uh, G League talent. Um, so I went with, uh, uh, where's the name? Walt Walker Kessler from Auburn Ooh. University. He's their center. Your thoughts? Big time rim protector. Uh, like this, yeah, I'm looking at him right now. I mean, I remember, like the guy averaged like four blocks a game this year. For the 4.6, yeah. like just crazy. Yeah, this is a guy that uh, transferred from North Carolina to Auburn and just had a monster year. Big reason why they were a two seed in the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, he was tied for second at the combine standing reach. He had a 9-5 standing reach. Woo. Um, there, there was one guy who had like a nine, nine standing reach. I'm, I, I think it was Mark Williams. Don't quote me on that, but, uh, he was the tall and he was also the tallest guy without shoes at the combine. So without shoes, seven foot and a quarter inch and with shoes, I think he's like seven, one, two forty five, and he's going to turn 21 next month. I, I, Hey, I like this. I, I like kind of his profile a lot. I remember watching him and, you know, if you can score 11 points per game for a team in college, that that usually is a pretty good sign that, that you have some sort of offensive uh, skill. He's not a three-point shooter, you know, shot 20% from three this year. But, no, I, I mean, the 4.6 blocks per game, that is tough to do. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, especially considering his minutes. He played 26 minutes a game this year. And he averaged four point six blocks per game. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's he, he could come in and play right away. And and this is based on our, on the locked on mock draft. There there were other players I wanted, but they were they were picked ahead of him. Um, so Walker Kessler was my pick. And uh, and want to add one last thing here before we go. The Warriors uh, in game two uh, from the end of the first half. This is late second quarter until the beginning of the fourth quarter. They went on a 43 to 14 run. Ooh. It's incredible. That is absolutely That's incredible. Money. I'll leave people with that. Man. I'll see you next week, Kevin. Thanks, brother. Always a All pleasure. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Later.